What in the hell's going on? What the hell is going on? What the hell is going on? I don't know what the hell he's talking about. You don't have to know what the hell is on it. What the hell's the matter with these guys? We don't know what's going on. What the hell's going on? Who in God's name knows what it's all about? Hi, I'm Danielle Pletka. And I'm Mark Thiessen. Welcome to our podcast, What the Hell is Going On? Mark, what the hell is going on? What the hell is going on is the genocide games are taking place in uh, Beijing. I don't know why more people don't use that expression. It is the fastest reminder to people that while people are busy doing the biathlon in one part of the country, <laughs> other people are being murdered in concentration exactly. camps in another. Yep. Well, the genocide games are happening. We're in the middle of them right now. And uh, the corporate sponsors are busy advertising and making money. NBC is making lots of money. And somebody tried to get into the advertising game. Our friend and recidivist guest, Congressman Mike Waltz, and uh, another great American, and I'm glad to be able to call him a fellow American, Ennis Cantor Freedom, put up an ad and submitted it to NBC for broadcast during the Olympics, and they were turned down. Let's play a clip of the ad so people can hear what we're talking about world's greatest athletic showcase but just outside the show rape genocide slave labor american companies are drunk on chinese dollars entangled with communist dictators committing atrocities and propping up these genocide games staged by the chinese communist party and what can we do stand for freedom defund the dictators when you see made in china put it down servant leadership fund is responsible for the content of this advertising so perfectly unobjectionable, what you couldn't hear because they actually didn't mention the names of the sponsors is they showed the logos of all the corporate sponsors of the Berlin, uh, I, I almost called it the Berlin Games, the Beijing Games, <laughs> Freudian slip. And so NBC said, if you take out the logos, then we'll do it. And that was the whole point of the ad was to say that these corporations are basically underwriting genocide. So uh, we've got a great guest today. Ennis Freedom is with us on the podcast, and he's going to tell us why they ran that ad, why it got shut down, and why he's speaking out about all of this. So one of the things that has been amazing to me is that all of these freaking sanctimonious companies that were all too willing to speak out when it came to our country, and, yep, and I, exactly. I, don't, I don't always agree. And I don't like virtue signaling and I don't like performative art from my companies. On the other hand, I do believe that they have the right to do that. What is so staggering is just how hypocritical so many of them are, that they are completely unwilling to stand up and say what is a proven truth, which is that there is a genocide going on. Our own Secretary of State in his nomination hearing called what is happening to the Muslim Uyghurs of China genocide. But our companies who are too busy talking about George Floyd, talking about Breonna Taylor, they don't want to talk about what's happening in China. Because it is far more objectionable to hold the All-Star Game in the state of Georgia than it is to hold the entire Olympic Games in a nation that not only is committing genocide against the Uyghurs, but is committing massive human rights violations against the people of Tibet, massive human rights violations of Han Chinese who have no freedom to speak out, have an electronic police state with a credit system where people who aren't sufficiently obeisant to the cult of Xi can't advance in society, can't get jobs. 
They're crushing freedom in Hong Kong. They're sending record numbers of strategic bombers and fighter jets into Taiwan's air defense zone to threaten the, uh, the country of Taiwan. And all that's okay. But Georgia, Georgia, this is where we would draw our line and say that we can't possibly have a sporting event in the state of Georgia. You know, I think back and I recall two instances, one when you and I were working on the Hill and it was the early days of Iran's nuclear program, their missile program, and sadly not the early days of their sponsorship of terrorism. But the United States was just starting to crack down, and our boss was from North Carolina, and a big cigarette company came to him and said, we want to keep selling cigarettes to Iran, and we don't like the legislation that's pending before Congress that would stop all U.S. exports to Iran. And I wrote him a note, and I said, hey, I have to ask you, you're being told this. What do you want to do? R.J. Reynolds doesn't want us to block their sale of cigarettes to Iran. And he wrote back and he said, I still have the memo. And he said, sometimes you just have to say no. Yep. And uh, another time, similarly, Iran, we had a donor to AEI that leaned on us to stop naming them as a company that was circumventing sanctions against Iran because we had a big database of sanctions violators and companies that were using their foreign subsidiaries to still sell to Iran. And AEI said, no, we're not going to stop doing that. You can stop supporting us if you want. And lo and behold, they neither stopped supporting us And we kept on doing it because we believed in doing the right thing. Why is this so unusual? Why is this not the norm? Why is the NBA not standing up for their player like Ennis Freedom, who's standing up for the Chinese? I don't get it. Sorry for the long story, guys. Because they're lobbyists for the totalitarian regime. This is the brilliance of what the Chinese have done in the period starting after the fall of communism in Eastern Europe is nothing short of brilliant. So they looked at what Gorbachev did and said, yeah, we're not doing that. (laughs) We're not going to loosen up in the same way. And they managed to figure out a way to marry capitalism with totalitarianism in a way that no other country has. And it's genius because, you know, you have to give them credit. What they have done is they have taken American corporations and American sports leagues and sneaker manufacturers and soda manufacturers and all the rest of them and turn them into their lobbyists in Washington for the interests of the Chinese Communist Party. That's what they are. And these corporations need to understand. We need to call them out and say it. You are, for all intents and purposes, a foreign agent of a hostile power. That's right. When you act at the instruction of a foreign government, doesn't matter whether you're being paid or not. You are, in fact, their lobbyist, and you are required to lobby. And I think you're absolutely right. What we've seen in China's attempts to silence critics is something that if you substituted the word China, the country of China would outrage the American people. If you said to the American people, your sports players are being censored, what you say is being censored. If you underscored to the American people just how Hollywood is censoring movies, movies. There was just a huge article, I sent this to you the other day, in the Wall Street Journal telling the story of the movie Red Dawn. So for people who don't remember, Red Dawn was one of the greatest movies of the 1980s. And it was a story of the Soviet Union invading the United States and how this group of high school students formed a rebellion to fight the Soviets. And actually, we drove them out, right? It's a great, great movie. And so like Hollywood, because Hollywood can't come up with any original ideas, they decided to do a remake 
of Red Dawn, but of course the Soviet Union doesn't exist anymore. So the writers chose to make the enemy China. And they made the movie. They made it with the characters wearing Chinese insignia and speaking in Chinese <laughs> oh and doing all this. And then when the movie was finished, they couldn't get anybody to distribute it. And they realized that the Chinese wouldn't show it in their country. So they literally hired a company and spent a million dollars to digitally change the Chinese into North Koreans. Change the insignia, change everything, and make North Korea the enemy. And of course, the movie was a flop because everyone knows that five foot two North Korean soldiers are not going to be able to invade the United States. The same thing with the sequel to Top Gun. And Tom Cruise, famously in Top Gun, his jacket had a Taiwanese flag on the back of it as part of the insignia. They took it off because they knew if they had a Taiwanese flag on his jacket, they wouldn't be able to make millions of dollars. These people are literally in bed with our enemies doing their bidding in order to make money. It's absolutely disgusting and appalling. No, and I think it's not widely understood. And by the way, for everybody out there who's about to get mad at Mark for saying these five foot two soldiers, Mark, is not, Mark is not making a nasty crack at people who are short. Mark is merely noting the fact that in North Korea, because of widespread malnutrition, because of government policy, they have had to reduce the height requirements of the North Korean military because nobody is tall enough anymore because they don't have the proper nutrition. So that is why they're all now tiny little soldiers. It's enough to make you sick. We shouldn't laugh. In any case, I don't think that these things are widely enough understood. I don't think these things are widely enough known. And one of the things that I love about Ennis Cantor Freedom, one of the things I love about his story, because his name, of course, was Ennis Cantor. He became an American citizen, and he changed his last name when he became a citizen to Freedom. So because it's on he his wanted jer- to put Freedom on his jersey, yeah. and they wouldn't let him unless it was his name. Right. So <laughs> I, I just... I just love that. But one of the things that I really love about it, just as you and I talked about with John Andrasik when we talked about the band Five for Fighting on their activism on Afghanistan, is that I love to see people in part of popular culture, sports, music, stand up for the principles that enable them to flourish. And all the discussion we had about the corporate lobbyists for China just lays the groundwork for how courageous he is because those are the headwinds he's facing as an individual athlete who has no power other than his platform as an athlete and has no financial backing behind him, nothing else, risking all of that to speak out about the atrocities that the communist Chinese regime is doing. It could cost him his career. It certainly has cost him sponsorships. He doesn't even wear Nike off the court, much less take their money like LeBron James. And so he's sacrificing so much for his principles. And I just think that it's incredibly courageous. Only sad thing about it is, is how lonely he is, that there are so few people who are willing to do what he is doing. And uh, we're just so honored that he took the time to join us on this podcast. So for those of you who don't know, Ennis Cantor, Freedom is a player for the Boston Celtics basketball team. Your he, old hometown team. That's my old hometown team. He is certainly the tallest guest we've ever had on our show. <laughs> Six foot ten. He's played for the Celtics. He's played for the Portland Trailblazers. He's played for the Knicks. He's played for Oklahoma City. And his first team was the Utah Jazz. But his family is from Turkey. He was actually born in Switzerland. But let me just say this again and again. He is a great American. Here's our interview. 
Well, Ennis Freedom, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate that. It's wonderful to have you. I love your new name, and uh, it's terrific to have you with us. So you just put out an ad with Congressman Mike Waltz about the Beijing Olympics that was rejected by NBC. Tell us why. Tell us about the ad, why you did it, and why do you think they rejected you? Congressman Waltz and I wanted to air this ad on TV to raise awareness of you know China's gross human rights abuses and the obviously the hypocrisy of the U.S. companies that are silent and in embellishing to CCP's brutal behavior. So I remember, you know, we reserved the ad space for two nights ago for Monday night on NBC during the Olympics. But, you know, Congressman Waltz messaged me and also said, was informed Friday evening by NBC that they will not air the ad unless we remove the corporate logos. And I think, of course, this is like a form of censorship. And the one thing that people like needs to understand, we did not name the companies. We just display their logos. And our legal team made sure everything in the ad complied with NBC guidelines. So I think, you know, the bottom line is that obviously the NBC is afraid and, uh, you know, these corporate sponsors cannot preach social justice at home, but ignore it when it could affect their revenue. So, I mean, they're all afraid of the blowback from the CCP. And it's it's sad. Well, it is sad, but you've really been pretty courageous. I still remember when we first reached out to you, one of the things that I really wondered about was whether the NBA was leaning on you really hard because, of course, the NBA has its own very substantial financial mm-hmm. interests in China. What kind of pushback have you been mm-hmm. feeling? I talk about Turkey and... I talk about Turkey and the you know the problems are happening in Turkey for 10 years. I did not get a one phone call. I talk about China one day. My phone was ringing <laughs> once every hour. And I was, I mean, obviously, the first game I wore my free Tibet shoes. And I'm sure you guys, you know, the, know the shoes and designs that we come up with. In a halftime, my manager messaged me and said, every Celtics games are banned in China. And it took them 24 minutes, because one half is 24 minutes, to ban every Celtics game in television over there in China. And I was I was shocked, you know. And I was like, that clearly shows one more time that there's dictatorship over there. But, you know, at the same time, obviously, it's been a very lonely road. That's what I will say, because many of the athletes, or not just from the NBA, but like, you know, all around every league, or coaches or people who has anything to do with sports are scared to support me out loud. You know, whenever I have a conversation privately, they're like, listen, man, you know, we love you. We support you. We're going to pray for you, but we just cannot do it out loud. And I was like, okay. Are Celtics games still banned in China? I believe so. Yeah. Wow. So you've written that your teammates have been very supportive Mm -hmm. of you. Why is it, do you think, that so few athletes are speaking out, not just in the NBA, but I know there are some athletes who boycotted the opening ceremonies, but we haven't seen very many athletes using the platform of the Beijing Olympics to speak out about China's human rights abuses. Why do you think everyone's so reticent? Fear. I think they care too much about their jersey sales, their shoe sales, endorsement deals, you know, their next contract with whatever organization or association they're playing with, the business that they're going to lose. I grew up as knowing that there are bigger things than money and business. That's what my family always taught me. 
So that's why when you are talking about, especially these big authoritarian regimes, you are going to be lonely. But I mean, it's just sad to see how people are picking, not just people, but you see there are lots of like countries out there. A lot of Muslim countries, especially, are just because of their economy and business going on with China, they're scared to say anything against them. So it's a shame, but, you know, just someone had to do it. So one of the things that's really interesting, and I want to come back to what you said about Muslim countries, because I think that's absolutely fascinating. But one of the things that is interesting is Mark asked you about your colleagues and about their willingness to stand up at the Olympics, but their willingness to stand up in other areas. There was no hesitation last summer. You were a big supporter of the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm -hmm. You were a big critic of police use of force. Mm -hmm. You spoke out very strongly. And you were in a very big group of athletes, Mm -hmm. some of whom took the knee during the national anthem, many of the teams, which, you know, made very strong expressions critical of this country. What I don't understand is why these sports associations are so willing to see us criticize America, but not willing to see us criticize other countries. Do you think that's just still all about money? I think, yes, that's the biggest part of it. I mean, I'll give you an example from NBA. There are more people watched in NBA last year in China than American population, over 400 million. Every year, the revenue is $5 billion. I think people can be thinking about like, well, I mean, first of all, that's not my country that I'm going to talk about. And the stuff that I will talk about is not going to change anything. So, like, why would I put myself in a situation like that? So they can be thinking about it like that. But I wish the more athletes join me will be an even bigger movement. But it just, you know, when the Black Lives Matter protests were happening, I was the third. We have 500 players in the league. I was the third player in a whole league went out there and protested because I do believe problems are happening in this country and we need to call them out and we need to hold people accountable. But obviously, unfortunately, when it comes to a country that they are doing business with, they're like, as soon as the situation that it's going to affect their pocket, they remain in silence. But only association, I want to give a credit to talking about, you know, what's going on. And they were so brave enough was WTA, Women Tennis Association. Women Tennis Association, they said, we do not care about the business. And if, even if it was hundreds of billions of dollars, we are going to stand with our player. And that actually, I was like, take notes. Every athlete or association or organization or company out there, take notes. Did you see, by the way, that the chairman of the International Olympic Committee did an interview with Peng Shui, which uh-huh. really looked more like Chinese propaganda than it did an open a hostage free... video. Yeah, it looked like a hostage video. Well, Mark's right. <laughs> First of all, people need to understand the IOC, International Olympic Committee, is scared to talk about human rights because they know China is one of the worst in this regard. And they would rather take China's mind and talk about values. And the reality is, the people need to understand... The IOC is in bed, same bed with Chinese governments. They do not care about human rights. They care about publicity and money. And when they got asked before, they showed their true color when they got asked about Pan Shui. And they're going to do everything they can to obviously help the Chinese propaganda. I mean, they just organized games in a country where there is prosperitality, torture, mass arrest, execution, labor camps, religious repression, and pretty much genocide. So I feel like we should definitely call out this IOC because they are the part of the problem and they're helping China's government to help to spread their propaganda. 
So if you go back to the 1990s when the United States supported China's entry into the World Trade Organization, the idea behind this was that if American businesses went in, it would create space in the society for freedom to flourish and that American capitalism would infect China and it would become more democratic. That's obviously not happened. But what has happened is that the corporations that went in there to do business and make money now have become lobbyists for the totalitarian regime. It's not the Chinese regime that is mm -hmm. trying to silence you. Exactly. It's the NBA. It's the sponsors. It's the corporations that are putting the pressure on you. Isn't that right? So I remember, so I was in D.C. I was we were actually rallying about this bill called Uyghur Force Labor Prevention Act. And it was just so crazy because... There was two companies, I believe one of them was Apple, another one was Nike or Coca-Cola. I can't really remember. I don't want to give you guys that misinformation, but they were lobbying against this bill, which this bill passed and President Biden signed it actually, that the goal of the bill is that any of the companies out there has to show that they have nothing to do with sweatshops or they're not going to be able to enter the United States. To me, it's just so crazy because now you see like Nike. I'm just keeping an example of Nike because of NBA's biggest sponsor. It's pretty much like a modern day slavery. And instead of the Communist Party, they are the one that doing their propaganda. And it's just sad to see this. I mean, you look at the Olympics right now. You know, we got Airbnb, Coca-Cola, Intel, Panasonic, PNG, Samsung, Toyota, and Visa. You know, it's just shame on them for not putting morals over money. But they are the one is pretty much helping Chinese government to spread their propaganda. We have talked a lot about China, and you've talked a lot about China. Your commercial that you made, which was terrific, was with Representative Waltz, who we've had on the podcast. But of course, when you first spoke out, when you first got a name for being a human rights campaigner, it was about Recep Tayyip Erdogan, mm -hmm. the leader of Turkey, the increasingly every year more dictatorial leader of Turkey. Talk a little bit about the repercussions, because we've been talking about American sports, we've been talking about American companies, but you faced very serious personal repercussions in Turkey. You know, I remember my first, probably, yeah, my, my, till my second year in the league, I did not care about any of the stuff, but just basketball and having fun with my teammates. That's it. That's all I cared about. And then I remember, you know, there was a big corruption scandal happened in Turkey. President Erdogan and his family was involved in it. And he got cut. And after he got cut, he started putting people in jail. Police, persecutors, people in media outlets, journalists and stuff. And then after that, he started to go around and shutting down media outlets. And I was like, I don't care who you are. If you are fighting against free press, education, or educating our country, I'm going to say something about it. So that is the first time I said something, actually, because of the NBA platform, it became you know viral here in the United States and Turkey. And I was like, even like one little tweet can affect this much. I'm going to, after that from now on, I'm going to start paying attention about what's going on in my country more and more. And I started to study about foreign relations and what's happened in the Middle East and the relationship going on between America and Turkey. And then obviously I started to talk about the stuff happening in Turkey more. And a lot of the big news outlet out there, you know, started to give me a platform. And Obviously, every time I say something, it was becoming a big conversation and Turkish government hated that. So it affected me and my family. I remember my dad was a genetic professor. He got fired from his job. 
My sister went to medical school for six years. She still cannot find a job. My little brother was playing basketball, and he literally got kicked on every team because of his last name. And he was even asking me, like, I'm like the tallest one in my team. Why am I keep getting kicked out? And I couldn't say because he was too young because of the things that I talked about. You know, they were getting harassed so much, and it was affecting them so much. My family had to put a statement out there and saying we are disowned NS. I remember going to a practice that day was like one of the toughest days in my life. And Turkish government didn't believe that they came to my house in Turkey and they raided the whole house and they took every electronics away. Phones, computers, laptops, iPads, because they wanted to see if I'm still in contact with my family or not. Well, they couldn't find anything because I wasn't, but they still took my dad in jail for a while. But we put so much pressure from here to Turkey with politicians, with media outlets. They had to let him go. But then after that, obviously, they revoked my passport, put my name on Interpol list. I was actually doing a basketball camp in Indonesia. They tried to kidnap me over there, too. So less than four years, I have 10 arrest warrants for me. And I actually posted that on my social media. You guys can look it up. So I believe right now, I mean, they're pretty much declaring me as like the enemy of the state. And if you ask the Turkish government, they see me as this terrorist. But you look at all my interviews, you look at all my op-eds or the thing that I talk about, it's never politics. It's all about human rights and free all the political prisoners and journalists. So you obviously have firsthand experience with dictatorship. Mm -hmm. And uh, your activism on Turkey is understandable simply because it's affecting your family. These are your people. How did you become interested in China? I understand it was a parent at a basketball camp who challenged you to speak out on this. Yeah. So it's a crazy story because I was doing a basketball camp with one of the congressmen in New York. And after the camp, I was taking a picture with the kids and one of his parents called me in front of everybody. And he was like a little yelling too. He was like, how can you call yourself a human rights activist when your brothers and sisters are getting tortured and raped in concentration camps in China every day? And I turned around, I was shocked. And everyone was looking at him and looking at me. I turned around and said, I promise you, I'm gonna get back to you. So I canceled everything that day. I went back to my hotel. I was down the curtains and I started to study. And I was studying. While I was studying, I was like, you know, I was very ashamed with myself. I was like, I cannot believe I have not said a word about this because, I mean, I had so much in my plate with Turkey because my family was involved and that was my home country. But I promised myself from now on, I will be speaking up about this issue. And I remember I was keep hearing about the Uyghurs, but I didn't really know what's going on. So I just did like a very simple research. I put like an Uyghurs word on Google and read about it. And obviously, while I was reading, when I was watching videos and stuff, and then there's a link popped out. I clicked on it, and it was talking about Tibetans. I started to research about Tibetans. And I was already knew what was going on with Hong Kongers because of two years ago when Daryl Morey tweeted something about it. And then the next day, I was watching TV, and there was this big news and said, China might invade Taiwan. So I started to study about Taiwan, and I was like studying about Southern Mongolians. And I was like, the more I read, I was just very heartbroken and I was just very angry with myself. But I was like, there is all kind of news out there. You know, you don't know if it's true or not. And I did not want to talk about this and not give any facts. So I called my manager. I was like, find me a concentration camp survivor. And he was, <laughs> he was very shocked. He thought that I was just joking. I was like, no, I really want to talk with one. And once I sit down and had a Zoom meeting with this concentration camp survivors, and she was telling me about the gang rape, the torture, and 
the sterilization, forced abortion, and how Chinese government trying to tell the whole world that it's a re-education camp, but it is a genocide. So the Chinese government lying. It broke my heart. I don't think any human being in the world who's carrying a heart that can listen to her and not say anything. And then after that, I was like, I promised myself from now on, I'm going to do everything I can to expose this dictatorship. What was the first thing you did publicly to speak out? What was the first step and what happened when you did it? When I was a little kid, I remember whenever I watched an NBA game, the first thing I looked at an NBA player, it was the shoes. What kind of shoes they're wearing, what color they are, what brand they are, if they're comfortable or not, how they feel on your feet. So I wanted to do something so big that can affect our young generation. That was my goal. Because if we can educate our young generation, we're never going to have the same problems that we are having right now. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to do something so unique and different that everyone in the world can see it, actually. So I decided to create these shoes about the problems that are happening in China. I looked at the NBA rules. There is not one rule against the NBA that says that I cannot put any kind of human rights phrases on my shoes. So I designed this shoe called Free Tibet. I wanted to start with the Tibet people because I didn't want people to say, well, he's Muslim. That's why he cares about, you know, the people in Xinjiang. But I wanted to do something so bigger than what I'm standing up for. So that's why that was the first time I put the shoes on my feet, went out there and played in Madison Square Garden. That's everything started to went down. And you've got a dissident artist who makes these shoes for you. Is that correct? Yes. Tell us about that. So every time we talk about a country or dictatorship or a problem, you know, we work with artists that knows from first hand what's going on. I work with this amazing artist, Baricio, and he did an amazing job about telling the story of Tibetans and Uyghurs and China and pretty much all the other problems are happening over there. I remember first time I put those shoes on my feet and I went out there and first people didn't understand. Like even my teammates were like, what kind of shoes are you wearing? You know, <laughs> it's very colorful and there is this like burning man and there is this like lions on it and there's Tibet flag and it says free Tibet. So they couldn't really understand it. And I posted the right before the game and went out there and after the warm-ups, actually, there is this two gentlemen who works for the NBA came and said, we are begging you, please take your shoes off. I was very confused. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, you have to take your shoes off because it is getting a lot of attention. And it was amazing because it was right before my citizenship test. I was like studying really hard for my citizenship test. So I was like, keep remembering there is 27 amendments, my first amendment, freedom of speech. <laughs> I was like, you cannot take my first amendment from me. Go tell your boss. I don't care what happens. And they were like threatening me and say, you might get banned. I was like, I don't care. Go ahead. Go tell your boss. And I did not play a single minute that game. And at halftime, I went to locker room. And, you know, I looked at my phone. There were so many notifications that my manager messaged me and said, every Celtics games are banned in China. So it took them 24 minutes to ban everything. That clearly shows the dictatorship over there. And at halftime, actually, that gentleman came to me and apologized and said, listen, we are sorry. You're not going to get banned. You can wear whatever you want. I said, okay, fine, whatever. And then after that, obviously, the NBA started to put pressure on us. But you didn't give in to that pressure. Can I ask you a question? One of the things that you've been doing with your activism and working with others who are activists is that you've been shining a light on both China, Turkey, on human rights abuses, on injustice, if we can call it that. Mm -hmm. 
let's just pick one of those cases, China. What should we be doing? What do you think? You know, you're telling us notice what they're doing, acknowledge their crimes against humanity. Okay, that's right. Mm-hmm. What do you think the right steps are for a country that stands for freedom like the United States? First of all, when you pick up something and you see it made in China, put it down. That's simple. That's like the easiest thing you can do. And I think the people, especially like people like us who has platform, I feel like you need to hold people, organizations, associations, and companies and sponsors accountable because they are part of the problem and they're pretty much working for China to spread the Chinese propaganda. That is the one important thing. Then other than that, obviously, there are so many things that we can be doing. We worked on a Uyghur bill and it passed. Now we are working on another bill about Hong Kongers. I want to create another bill for Tibetans. But other than that, I feel like everywhere we go, we need to talk about this injustice happening, not just in America, but all over the world. Because, I mean, people, people, it doesn't matter. He's American. He lives in China. He lives in wherever. Ukraine. So I feel like, <laughs> exactly, we need to bring awareness. So I have a small idea here, too. I haven't talked about it even with Mark. I feel exactly the way you do. And one of the things that I wish I could do is every time I buy something on Amazon, and that's almost every single day because I have four kids and mm-hmm. two dogs and a house full of crap. And the <laughs> and every time I go on Amazon, you can't find out where things are made. Yep. I always want to know if I could look and see it was made in China. I'd make a better choice, but I can't see it because they won't tell you where things are made. We need to persuade Amazon that they need to put where things are made on their website. I'm definitely with you because, I mean, if you don't know, then if you're buying their product, that means you're part of the problem. So, like, I literally changed my whole closet. Like, literally the whole closet. (laughs) I look if they are made with sweatshops, slave labor, or if they are you know, made in China, I literally like changed my whole closet. And now I don't wear actually outside of the coat. I don't wear no NBA stuff anymore because there is a Nike logo on it. So I literally have to change all my t-shirts, my shorts, my sweatpants, like everything literally. I love that uh, you couldn't take the Nike logo off the shoes. So instead you painted over them. <laughs> in closing, let's go back to the Olympics. Because obviously, as you say, the IOC is in the pocket of the regime in Beijing. These Olympics should never have been given to the Chinese Communist Party to run any more than the 1936 Berlin Olympics should have been given to the Nazi Party to run. But once the Olympics were chosen for Berlin, what do you say to the athletes who you get to play for an NBA championship every year Mm -hmm. in a free country? For many of these people, they get a shot once every four years at their Mm -hmm. world championship. They've trained their whole lives for this. They might be too old by the time the next Olympics comes around. What do you say to the athletes who are there in Beijing competing? It's a real conundrum for many of them. I mean, first of all, all the athletes or people need to understand, I say this over and over again, but like the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, does not represent Olympic core values of excellence, of respect, of friendship. And they are a brutal dictatorship and they engage in censorship. They threaten their freedoms. They don't respect human rights. They hide the truth. And while we are talking right now, there's a genocide happening. And the IOC is obviously, I said this enough, but the complicit and echoes the CCP propaganda. And I feel like, you know, I understand the athlete's perspective, right? They're working so hard in their whole life and they maybe were going to get one shot in the Olympics. They're working so hard for four years to get to that level. But every time I talk to an athlete, 
I have said this. Think about this. If your mother, if your father, if your sister, if your daughter, if your wife was on those concentration camps right now in China and getting tortured and raped every day, would you still remain in asylum? Would you still go to that country and compete and be part of the propaganda? I have not seen one person or I have not seen one athlete that answered me that question. They are staying silent. They are not saying yes or no. They just remain in silent because they know it's a shame. All the gold medals in the world that you can win is not more important than your morals, your principles, and your values. It's not worth it. It's not worth selling your morals to a, a country like China. I mean, especially athlete. when you say an athlete, right, they have a huge platform to inspire and affect so much, especially our young generation. Because everything now, social media and everything we do becomes a conversation. They even follow what we eat, what we wear, what we do and stuff. So I feel like it's a huge responsibility on our shoulders. So I feel like by us going there, now you look at the Olympics back in 1936, we are like, wow, it's a shame. Now, down the line in history, we're going to look back to this day, in 2022, and say, wow, it is a shame. And it is just unbelievable how we couldn't see it. But I think, you know, the change is happening. You look at the opening ceremony, right? 60 million viewers tuned in to watch the opening ceremony. And it's actually, and people need to know, all-time low for Olympics ceremonies on liner television. You look at 2018, it was in South Korea, Winter Olympics. It was 28.3 million. So it's down 43%. This is what you get for turning athletics into propaganda for an evil empire. So it is happening, but to me, 60 million, still a lot. Diplomatic boycott was good, still shows something, but it's not enough. So I just hope that all the athletes or all the people will be part of the history in the wrong side, that they're participating in the Olympics right now. Well, there's another week and a half left in these games, and I'm waiting to see who will be the <laughs> Ennis Freedom of the Beijing Olympics. Which athlete will use their platform to speak out? Maybe it's mm -hmm. not until the closing ceremonies or something like that, but I'm waiting to see who's going to be the hero of these Olympics who's going to speak out and do what you do on a daily basis to speak out for human rights. If that's the goal, I have no problem with them going. You know, like right now, I'm playing for the NBA, right? But I'm calling out NBA. I'm calling out Nike. I'm calling out players. If that is the reason that athletes went there and they're going to say something and say, you know what, I did participate in this Olympics, but the reason was blah, blah. The reason was I wanted to bring awareness to this cause and that cause. Then I'm like, you know what? Hat off to you, you're amazing, and you're more brave than anyone I can think of. But I've not seen any athletes yet. There's still a little time to go. So exit question, when is your contract up? Are you worried that you're going to pay a personal price now for your outspokenness mm -hmm. when it comes time to renew your time in the NBA? Well, I have 25 games left in my contract. It's up after this season. You know, I've never thought about that because if I did, then I just didn't want my contract situation to affect my activism. But recently, obviously, I've been in communicate with so many people around the league and especially my ex-teammates and uh, my ex-assistant coaches. They're like, listen, man, we love you. So we have to tell you the truth. This is your farewell tour. Enjoy it. Smile. Have fun with it. I hope you win a championship because I don't think you're going to get another contract after this year. Because the things that you talk about costing millions of dollars. NBA is getting banned in China, the Celtics. And I believe that it is going to affect. But this is bigger than myself at the end. This is bigger than NBA in basketball. 
if that is the reason that I am not going to be able to play basketball again, then you know what? Oh, well, I can look back at least and say I did the right thing. So I just hope that, I mean, I'm 29, I'm healthy, I can't play another six years. So I hope that's not the case. Well, it would be a disgrace if they punished you for what you've done. And we are just in awe of your courage and your uh, activism and your witness Absolutely. Uh, for suffering people around the world. Thank you so much for joining us today. No, for sure. I appreciate that. Thank you. And I hope the Celtics and I hope the Celtics fans will listen up and want to do the right thing because you're a hugely valuable player, but you're also a conscience for the NBA and it needs one. <laughs> That's for sure. For sure. I hope so. We'll see. We'll see. So, Danny, let's talk about the Olympics. So a lot of people have compared these games to the Berlin Olympics, and there are a number of differences between this and the Berlin Olympics. The first difference is, of course, is that you didn't have the prostitution of the corporate sponsors in the 1936 games. You didn't have that kind of uh, the financial involvement of all these corporations. Although you did have the prostitution of the U.S. government yes, in that. Yes, you did. But the, here's the big difference and why these games are worse than the Berlin games. The Berlin Games happened in 1936. In 1936, except for a few people who saw up close the evils of the Nazi regime, no one knew that the Holocaust was coming. No one knew how far the anti-Semitic regime would go to wipe out. They didn't know that the final solution was being planned, right? These were unknowns. Today, we know what the Chinese communist regime is doing. They are committing genocide while the games are taking place. This would be as if the Berlin games in 1936 were taking place in 1942, in 1942, while the Jews were being rounded up and put on train cars, heads shaved and sent to concentration camps. And oh, by the way, we're just going to go to Berlin and play sports. And these are not related things. That's what's happening in Beijing right now. I think it's even worse. I mean, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I, I actually wrote something exactly along those lines last week. You know, at least Germany was only planning the Holocaust, <laughs> uh, which is which is true. But I think it's worse because what we've seen is that this is a wholesale corruption. It's not just the Olympics. It's not just the NBA. When Ennis said that the only organization that had really stood up was the Women's Tennis Association, that's exactly right. But, you know, the Australian Open just happened. People walked in to the Australian Open and they had signs that they had made saying, where is Peng Shui, this very high-ranked uh, Chinese doubles player? I think she may even be the number one women's double player in the world. And Tennis Australia took them away. They confiscated them. I mean, so China has got other people doing their censorship for them. It's I mean, genius. It's, it, it, it's it genius. Is I mean, you have to give staggering. them credit. Yeah, I do give them credit, but I like your analogy because what I want people to think about is what if you took this and put it back in 1936 and you had all of these players advocating on behalf of the Nazis? That sounds repugnant. That sounds unthinkable. But that's what's going on. It's appalling. And we've got to figure out a way to combat this because, you know, even during the Cold War, you had a segment of the American political establishment that was soft on communism, that wasn't in favor of 
taking they wanted detente because they were fearful of what the soviets might do we had to have peaceful coexistence with communism and all the rest of it but even in the dark days of communism with the exceptions of the sort of the fever swamps of the left you didn't have people who were actually lobbying for the soviet union ever well yeah, that, you did but they went to jail yes but i mean <laughs> you, you, it's a different animal that we're dealing with right now and china is and could be in many ways a far more dangerous adversary than the Soviet Union ever was. Because imagine the Soviet Union, except with the wealth that American corporations have helped the regime to amass, the money to build, the advanced technology, the weapons that they would use in any conflict with the United States, the surveillance technology that they use to... to the lab, the bat labs. The, yes, the bat lab. Imagine what kind of a pandemic could be inflicted on the world. Hmm. Exactly. Let's so talk about th that. So this is this is a really serious problem that we face, which is that we're facing a regime, an adversary that possesses an unprecedented combination of tyranny and wealth, and it could be a very powerful adversary. And we need to deal with the fact that. All the things that you see on your grocery shelf every day, the companies that produce those things, the Coca-Cola, the Procter & Gamble, all these companies that you're doing business with and putting your hard-earned dollars are lobbying for the totalitarian regime that one day could be using the money that they're getting from all that to kill American soldiers. To kill American citizens. I mean, let's not downplay it. In fact, indeed, how many people around the world have died because of their lies about COVID? That's the thing. And I, and I, I really want to underscore, and we should underscore this at all times. We're not just talking about the Chinese Communist Party. We're talking about Xi Jinping at the helm of the Chinese Communist Party. The first victims of Xi Jinping are the Chinese people. Yep. But the threat that they pose to the rest of the world cannot be ignored. We're talking about the largest we're not, country. We're not afraid of Taiwan, right. which is a democratic, free Chinese society. The, it, we weren't afraid of Hong Kong. Yeah, we weren't afraid of Hong Kong. The people of Hong Kong are now afraid of the communist regime, but we weren't afraid of Hong Kong. And I'll tell you something. If the pandemic had broken out in Taipei instead of China, we wouldn't have had 900,000 dead Americans because a democratic regime would have had transparency. They would have said, we've got a problem. Let's work together to solve it. They would have contained it. This pandemic would have never been as bad as it was. It was the totalitarian nature of the Chinese regime that covered this up. And their of, fellow travelers and, at the World Health Organization. And their fellow travelers at the world. And this is the other thing, is that they've not just corrupted American businesses, they've corrupted international organizations. What you're seeing with the kowtowing of the IOC, and I use that term intentionally, to Beijing is the same kowtowing that we saw from the WHO. And we see from all these other international organizations. We've got a problem, and we've got to deal with it. And we've got to be a lot smarter and a lot better than we have been so far. And thank goodness we have people like Ennis Cantor Freedom calling out that regime and calling us to our better selves to wake up and do better as Americans. Amen to that. Thanks. Love immigrants. Yep, that's exactly <laughs> they make right. make us better. Immigrants do make us better. We'll be sending this out to you on our Substack. We'll be sending you the podcast. Please subscribe. Tell your friends. Review us. We were us. supposed to say that at the beginning. Yeah, we're we not. Didn't. We're not very good marketers. <laughs> no, the Chinese are better at marketing than we are. But thanks, folks, for listening as always. Take care. Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing us at whatthehell at AEI.org. Or you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at D. Pletka. And I'm at Mark Thiessen. That's Mark with a C. 
please rate and review the podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, share it, comment on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.